Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Thank you. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. If you're just coming out of fellowship now, you do actually have some requirements for training in the use of ultrasound, both for diagnostic use and for injections. When I was in fellowship 20 years ago, we weren't really talking about ultrasound that much. I mean, it certainly was used a little bit, but certainly not to the extent that we see it today. And I, I probably missed that boat by about five years, just looking back at my career. I personally don't use ultrasound in my practice. And part of that is just I haven't really had time to set aside to train since fellowship ended. I'm one of those people that if I'm going to do and take on a new effort like that, I'm going to go in 110%. And unfortunately, I don't have 110% worth of time to dedicate to that. And and that's hard part of you know teaching this old dog the new trick. But I've also had a harder time finding just where ultrasound fits into my pediatric sports medicine practice. I do see a few things I think would be great to have ultrasound on to look at quickly, but this is where my guest comes in today. I have a pediatric sports medicine colleague who uses ultrasound regularly in his practice to teach all of us a little bit how ultrasound may benefit us in the world of pediatric sports medicine. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Jacob Jones. Dr. Jones graduated medical school from the University of Missouri, Go Tigers, and followed up with a pediatric residency at UT Southwestern in Dallas, followed by fellowships in pediatric sports medicine and musculoskeletal ultrasound at Boston Children's. He currently practices as an assistant professor of orthopedics and pediatrics at Scottish Rite Hospital for Children. Welcome to the podcast, Jacob. Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. Happy to discuss this important topic. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you taking some time to be on the podcast with me today. You're at a bit of a disadvantage because we are doing an audio format for something that is highly visual. And I I applaud any guest that comes onto my podcast who we talk about these types of things. I've had radiologists on here. And again, it's if you can actually explain and talk about what we need to talk about uh, and convince the the listeners what we're kind of trying to see here without seeing it, God bless you, (laughs) because that's the hard part here. And I do have a high level of respect for any colleague that can do that. You know, I I freely admit, I and we mentioned this before we started here, I'm a little bit of a skeptic as far as how much ultrasound can be of use for my pediatric patients to incorporate it in my practice regularly, but I'm open-minded as well. And that's why I want to have you on the podcast today is so we can talk about a little bit about what you do. So let's just talk about giving our audience a little primer for those who may not be familiar because we do have athletic trainers, physical therapists on it who may not be using diagnostic ultrasound in their settings. But what does ultrasound do? How does it work when we're evaluating musculoskeletal concerns? When we talk about ultrasound, we're talking about diagnostic ultrasound. So we're talking about imaging. There are other forms of ultrasound that are used for therapeutic purposes, and they all use sound waves. How diagnostic ultrasound works is you have a machine with a transducer, which is the probe. It emits some sound waves which then go into the body. It interacts with different tissues. Different tissues have different densities, different water contents in them. It interacts with bone. And then those sound waves are reflected back to the transducer. Based upon the strength of the waves that are coming back and how quickly they come back, the transducer interprets that and then it creates an image on a screen, a black and white image. And 
that's the image that we're looking at. So we can see all the tissues that are beneath the skin. Obviously, when you're first starting out an ultrasound, like it is, I think probably for all of us, when we're trying to, you know, if I'm showing a patient an MRI, I always preclude that by, you know, when I look at these, I look at these all the time. So I'm very familiar with what we can see on here, but probably for the patient, we're looking at a bunch of black and white and not being able to really kind of understand what's all there. So you know, again, I, you know, looking at ultrasound, and I, I, you know, I have some basic familiarity with it. I can't say that I'm totally naive to, to musculoskeletal ultrasound. I, I kind of have some basic background there. But you know, I, I, for I think a lot of people, it probably just looks like that. A lot of black and white, <laughs> a lot of fuzzy lines, and maybe some dark areas and what have you. And then trying to interpret all that as far as what all that means. That's right. Yeah, there's certainly a steep learning curve with interpreting it and really just getting oriented with the screen. Like, what does the top of the screen mean? What does the bottom of the screen? How does that orient with the body? You know, we joke with patients when they first look at it, it's kind of like interpreting the screen off of uh, the movie, The Matrix. Right? <laughs> yeah. We're looking at those screens and there's just these green lines, digits going down and they don't know what, you know, if you're watching the movie, you don't know what they're interpreting, but the person sitting there who has experience can interpret that. And so with practice, with time, and once you really get oriented, then then it makes a lot more sense of, uh, of where things are and, and what things mean. That's decision-making, whether you take the blue pill or the red pill, right? So That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like that because, you know, again, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the matrix. And I, I think that's a good way of interpreting that, of seeing all the, the little squiggly green lines. And then, you know, finally, when Neo sets it all in, everything's all clear. So may, maybe I just need to keep working on it to get my Neo moment. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll work. That's right. That's right. But, you know, one of the things that we talk about, and, and, and this is something I think it's helpful to clarify, because when I was in training, we talked a lot about the use of therapeutic ultrasound and, and from a therapy standpoint, and we really shouldn't want to use that over a growth weight, which was always kind of very interesting when we started talking about using ultrasound from a diagnostic standpoint. Well, is there a difference there? And do we still really have to have that concern? Is that a valid concern or not? So can you tell Tell us a little bit about differences between therapeutic ultrasound versus diagnostic ultrasound. And is it something, do we really need to be concerned in our growing patients of using it over a growth plate? Therapeutic ultrasound, the ones that people are most familiar with are ones that uh, physical therapists use, sometimes athletic trainers use. And it they both use sound waves, which is a mechanical force, right? It's an energy that gets transmitted to tissues. Normally, the therapeutic ultrasound just heats up. Really, that's what it does. It sends some sound waves to of a certain intensity over a period of time, and that heats up tissue. That in and of itself is not likely to have a big effect on the growth plate. However, there are newer forms of therapeutic ultrasound, these things that we call shockwave treatments, where the sound waves that they use for those are a lot more uh, intense, a lot more powerful, and they're able to focus those a little bit as well. Now those, there have been some animal studies where they have done those on the growing parts of bones and it changes the growth of the bones. You know, the rule of medicine is do no harm, especially with these newer forms of, of therapeutic ultrasound or shockwave. Want to use extreme caution, especially around the growth plates so that you don't cause any harm to that growth. With diagnostic ultrasound, the sound waves are very low intensity and you're only keeping it on there for a short period of time. And so the mechanical effects of that are considered negligible, which is really helpful because we like to talk about how 
ultrasound is so safe, so safe that we use it on babies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And again, that's, it. I mean, that's a perfect example there that we're using it on babies all the time. I mean, I remember going through the NICU rotations and getting our, our cranial ultrasounds and what have you kids on a regular basis. So if it's good enough to put on your new baby's head, it's probably good enough to use for, for the rest of your body in some, some way, shape or form. That's right. It's kind of like the sun, right? You little sunlight's good, but you know, you can get a big magnifying glass and you can focus that on one area so much that you can start a fire. Yeah. Certain conditions where you want that much energy focused on one area, but certainly around the growth plate, we, we don't want that. So, right. Yeah. No, that sounds, that sounds good. Tell us a little bit about what your practice is actually like, you know, are you doing exclusively ultrasound? Do you do a mix of ultrasound and regular clinic visits? Do you just have regular clinics and you just incorporate ultrasound into your patients as you see them throughout the day? What, what is your practice like? It's a little bit of a mixture of, of everything. So I see exclusively pediatric sports medicine patients. It's a pediatric sports medicine practice. I certainly have slots that are identified as procedural with ultrasound or diagnostic with ultrasound where someone's coming in for that specific purpose. Either they want me to do that or someone in the community or one of my partners wants me to ultrasound them and do some type of ultrasound guided therapeutic. Additionally, I see patients that come in and have acute injuries, chronic injuries, other things. And based upon my initial evaluation and clinical evaluation, uh, I think, wow, I could really benefit from ultrasounding this patient right now to look for this specific thing or this injury, or sometimes it's they're wanting to get back to something. Let's just rule out this condition mm-hmm. and then we can move forward with a little bit more confidence that they don't have this major injury that, that may be a little bit more concerning, which, which may, may restrict them. When we're talking about like using it, as I mentioned, you know, there's some patients that I see that I come across. I'm like, man, this is where I really wish I actually did some ultrasound or had one of my colleagues who's at my office who does ultrasound. Cause I do have several partners uh, in our physiatry group who actually do ultrasound regularly. But I, you know, I think of a case just the other day that would have been perfect for this. I had a girl who came in who had been having wrist pain after a wrist injury twice over the past month and came in, just had a ton of dorsal swelling over her ulnar styloid and her x-rays were normal. Didn't have anything else there. I wasn't really sure if it was something affecting her ECU tendon or something along those lines. What we actually wound up doing just because I was a little bit more concerned about things else. And, and this again, probably would have been a, a perfect time for ultrasound when it all came sent down to it, when we got the MRI on her was she had a humongous ganglion cyst. I mean, probably one of the bigger ganglion cysts I've ever seen that affected that whole ulnar side of her wrist. But yeah, if I had the ultrasound probe at that point and could have put it on there and see that there's just a little fluid collection there, a fairly big fluid collection that probably would have saved a lot of time with her. So that, that was one case I can think of just in, again, this last week that I would have really liked to have an ultrasound machine with me right there. It certainly is great. You know, patients like it because we live in a world where People don't want to wait. And oftentimes, if you need to get some advanced imaging, such as an MRI, you have to go get that scheduled, which may be a few days out, uh, you know, maybe even longer with insurance approvals. Then you have to wait for the image to get processed, have to get, wait for the image to get read. And then there's a lot of additional cost with MRI that's lesser with ultrasound and all the indirect costs associated with getting MRIs, right? They may have to make a new appointment, take more time off school, more time off mm-hmm. work. Whereas ultrasound, you can put the transducer on them right there. You can get an instant image with experience. You can look at that, give them an instant interpretation, and then you can kind of move forward with your plan of care from there. 
couple of weeks ago, I had a patient come in with, uh, she's a volleyball player. She misstepped, felt a pop in her heel. And my examination was concerning for a tear of her Achilles tendon. And so I went, grabbed my ultrasound machine. I ultrasound it, confirmed that there was a tear. I walked right next door to one of my surgical partners, showed it to him. He came in and talked to the patient about it. Patient had surgery two days later, no need mm-hmm. for an MRI or anything else. So save them, certainly save them a lot of time, you know, additional imaging. Patient was able to get to the care and get the care in a timely manner. Sure. You know, over the course of a day and you're seeing patients, you know, obviously you, you, you can certainly put a transducer on everybody that walks into your office if you really wanted to and just kind of take a look at what you're seeing there. But that that obviously for me would be a big hindrance to my clinic flow if I was doing that with every single patient. You know, some things lend itself better than others. What 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 kind of is your decision making process when you're looking at a patient that say, hey, yeah, I'm gonna get the ultrasound machine and let's take a look at something here. I think this is where it becomes valuable when you're a, a provider and using ultrasound. For me, the thought process is depending upon what I see with ultrasound, is that going to change my clinical management with what I do? You know, there's some times where I may say, well, this may be interesting, but regardless if it shows this injury or not, my management's going to be the same. So in those cases, it's not worthwhile unless I have time and I just want to, you know, education type purposes. But if I know it's going to change how I'm going to educate the family or the things I'm going to recommend or potentially change their treatment, then I'll go ahead and ultrasound them. That's the biggest key or the biggest factor that I take into account. And we were just at the PRISM meeting and I unfortunately had to leave. You, I, I was mentioning beforehand that we, you had given a talk on Saturday morning from the PRISM meeting about ultrasound. And obviously I would have loved to have listened to that, but I did get to hear your research presentation that you gave on using ultrasound to evaluate ankle avulsion fractures. Can you just summarize for our listeners a little bit about what that research was that you presented? Lateral ankle injuries are some of the most common injuries that we see, typical inversion type mechanism. What we did is we took patients that were 5 to 12 years old who had a classic inversion type ankle injury, and we compared the ultrasound findings with the radiographic findings. What we found was that total of 25% of those patients end up having an avulsion injury off of the lateral ankle. Out of that 25%, 80% of them have normal radiographs. So a large portion of these lateral ankle injuries actually have avulsion fractures that are not seen on radiographs. What does that mean clinically? Well, we still need to figure that part out, but I think it, it is valuable to show, hey, maybe there is some, some bony or unossified bone involvement. And what could that potentially mean in the future for these patients? And I'll follow up on that, on your point you gave before about changing things clinically. So when I think about an avulsion injury off of the lateral malleolus, or if we say it's off the lateral talus, perhaps, how, if no, identifying that, how would that change your management knowing that and having that information? You mentioned, obviously, you have to figure that out clinically as far as what, what to do with that information. But I'm curious, like with the results of that and seeing that it is a higher likelihood of, of not seeing it radiographically, what would you do differently with that patient potentially if you found an ultrasound? Anything? I think the initial treatment as far as how I'm going to treat them to help them get better is probably going to be the same as if they didn't have that. If we just diagnose them as a lateral ankle sprain or a, you know a contusion on the lateral ankle. The biggest thing right now is we would... It, it provides some education to the family, right? If they pulled off a little piece of bone or a little piece of cartilage, from what we we know and what we're we're actually studying with this project, 
is it's likely that that bone is going to form an extra little ossicle mm-hmm. in the side of their ankle. Now, most of the time that doesn't mean anything, but sometimes that can lead to chronic ankle pain, recurrent ankle sprains or instability. So the hope is if we can prove that's what it leads to, and we think that's what it's going to prove, if we can identify these acutely, if we potentially change the treatment or find a treatment that's a little bit different, that can get that to heal, then maybe they won't form this extra little ossicle and they decreases the chance that they, they'll have chronic ankle pain or recurrent ankle sprains in the future. So is your plan with this cohort, are you going to be following them longitudinally then? That's right. That's right. We're oh, about, great. We're about half filled with our cohort and uh, going to follow them for, for a year at least. And then after that, depending upon what it shows, we're going to open up a treatment arm to see if treating them differently can uh, prevent those ossicles from forming. Good. Well, good. That's a good to be continued then. I'm, I'm interested to look forward to see what you find as it, as it goes on. That'll be good. You know, and I, I, I would also kind of say, you know, I wonder if it's when we say we don't see it radiographically, the question I always have with, with a lot of these, what we call quote unquote occult fractures is one of the limitations we have with plain films is we, we only get a certain number of views. And sometimes if you get a view at the right angle, and it could be actually an improperly done technique for an x-ray. You just may so fortuitously see that avulsion injury that you don't see or some other fracture for that matter. I mean, I've had plenty of patients that, you know, you, you get your standard AP and lateral view and you may not get an oblique or something else. And then and it looks perfectly fine. And then you get the oblique and you're like, oh my God, well, there it is. So I just, you know, one of the things I try and I personally kind of educate my patients about if I'm still clinically suspicious about that, if I have the plain films and they're normal, well, I tell them I can't get, I could, but I can't get a hundred different angles of that ankle bone to see if there's something small there. So, so we may actually treat them clinically because that's our assumption based on just the experience of having had that. But I wonder if that's a little bit of a limitation that we have there as far as what you're able to find, which is great. Cause again, if we have something else we can do and inexpensive to do and doesn't cause any additional radiation to the patient, by all means, let's use it if we can, right? That's right. Yeah, I agree with everything you say. We're we're really dependent on the images that we have. You know, that applies to ultrasound too. You sure. know, the, the width of your image, we always say it's the width of a credit card. So your slices are very thin. So if you don't have, if you're looking at a single slice and making some big conclusions off of that, you just have to be careful about that and make sure you're scanning all the way across so you can create multiple planes and see them relatively quickly to make sure, oh, there there actually is this injury there that uh, we couldn't see on these plain films or with just a single slice image. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Dr. Mark Halstead here. Do you like what you're hearing on the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast? If you want to learn how your business, organization, or effort can benefit from my focused audience of professionals interested in pediatric sports medicine, connect with us and let's have a conversation. You can reach out to us at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com.
in today's world, time is everything. When editing podcasts, <laughs> you know as well as I do, time flies. But it's not the good kind of time flying. It's the kind of time that eats a hole in your pocket. Reclaim the time you lose when you edit your podcast. Connect with The Editor Core. The Editor Core is a group of seasoned, experienced podcast editors that'll get your editing done and out the door. Use your reclaimed time to make more content. Make your podcast soar with The Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Now back to the podcast. Let's talk a little bit about where you find the greatest utility for ultrasound in your clinic. Is there like the, the this is the one that, hey, I, I do this every single time. I'm going to look at this every single time in my office. It would vary depending upon your practice and the types of athletes that you more commonly see. I'm very quick to use it on the elbow. The, the patients we see, especially baseball players and gymnasts, and other athletes who will have a valgus type injury to the elbow. The question is always, how does the UCL look and how does the medial epicondyle look? Mm -hmm. So for those patients in particular, I'll, I'll take a quick look. The value of ultrasound with that is, yes, you can see the ligament well. I mean, it's a very superficial structure. You can also assess the function of the ligament, right? The job of that ligament is to stabilize that medial elbow. And so you can stress the medial elbow and see how well it's keeping that proximal ulna and distal humerus together. You know, if you, you see, hey, the, uh, that joint space is really narrow compared to the contralateral side, that gives you some confidence that, yeah, it's functioning, it's doing its job. Whereas if it's widening, certainly increases your suspicion that there may be something going on. And even if you don't visualize a tear, it makes you want to look further, maybe get an MRI to say, hey, is there a significant tear here that we need to be aware of that's going to change our, our clinical management? So when you're looking at those patients, are you always scanning the contralateral side? Yes. Yep. Most, most of the point looking, especially, I mean, you get a baseline of what the UCL looks like oftentimes in these throwers, the dominant UCL is going to look a little bit different at baseline because of all the throwing they've done, but really to get an idea of what the baseline of that joint gapping is. So you can compare and say, Hey, it's, it's not significantly different or yes, it's, it's pretty different. This there's something going on here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Where do you see the future of ultrasound and pediatric sports medicine, you know, like future uses applications, you know, where do you think this field is going to go for peds? The American Medical Society of Sports Medicine has a big emphasis on, on ultrasound and ultrasound learning in their fellows. But if you look at their list of things that they recommend you learn, I think there's 214 items on there. One of them is specific to pediatrics and it's Oshkosh Slaughter, something right. that you probably don't really need to use ultrasound for. Sure. And so I think why, why I brought that up is because I think the, the future of ultrasound and pediatric sports and pediatric MSK is finding validating ways to accurately use ultrasound to diagnose common pediatric MSK problems. We know, I mean, probably the purpose, one of the purposes of this podcast is to teach people that kids have different injuries than adults, mm -hmm. right? And so with imaging and with ultrasound, we need to look at different areas than we do with adults to see if there's injuries. And so 
the future of ultrasound and pediatrics is to see how good ultrasound is at evaluating those injuries in kids. And I think your example there of the AMSSM list is is a perfect testimony that we really haven't probably explored well enough what the advantages can be of using ultrasound in pediatric sports medicine and, and what can we really diagnose that we're, we're missing the boat on. I mean, I, I'm sure we can all sit down and come up with a list of stuff that's non-bony injuries. Although again, we, we, you know, we can talk about some bony utilities too, that really would lend itself well, that are, are pediatric problems that we're just not thinking as much about. And again, it's just the, it's obviously a lot of these are created by our, our family practice colleagues who are doing a lot of adults. So, you know, I, I look forward to, your generation of, of sports medicine physicians that are they're coming out of training with this knowledge in ultrasound of furthering that as the the next couple decades go on, I think it's going to be exciting to see how we can use this uh, particular modality as far as figuring things out a little bit better and how we can apply it to our, our kids. So I, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I think but, there's a. I think it's a. I agree. I think it's a bright future. Of course, I'm biased, but I'm excited <laughs> about the future with it. So you're allowed to be biased. That's okay. Uh, except when it comes to research, right? <laughs> the other part that I've thought about this too, and, and I don't know if you utilize this or if you're doing any sideline team coverage, but what role do you think that there would be for you know having a diagnostic ultrasound on the sidelines on Friday night for football, as an example? I mean, I can think of lots of utility for that, but do you do that already? Or do you do any sideline coverage and do you have portable ultrasound that you can kind of do something on the sidelines if you need to? I do do sideline coverage. My current ultrasound machine isn't quite portable enough, but I did in fellowship have a pocket portable ultrasound machine, which we would use. You know, the biggest thing is we'd use it to rule out big injuries, right? Like I hurt sure. my wrist, I hurt my forearm. Okay, let's make sure the bone is not broken. And if it's not, we can say, hey, if you're functional, you can get back because we know structurally you're you're okay. The thing with ultrasound that's different than than radiographs is ultrasound you're seeing a single slice or single plane. So you need to just make sure out of safety that you're you're comfortable with ultrasound. And if you're worried about an injury like to a to a long bone, you need to make sure you're looking at every angle of that long bone uh, to really say, hey, there's no fracture here before you tell that player that he can go back in the game, uh, get back on the football field. But certainly, I think that's the biggest utility uh, there. The other utility is, you know, in the in the training room, just taking it to the training room where people have got chronic issues or, mm -hmm. you know, some acute injury. You can put that probe on, let's say, like a knee and say, oh, you have a knee effusion there. I, I can't see if anything's broken, but there's some fluid in the joint, which tells me it's likely one of these four things. So this would be a reason I need you to come into clinic because we need to look at this a little bit more versus, sure. well, no knee effusion there, pains here. I can look at this tendon, looks a little thick or a little irritated. Hey, yeah, let's uh, let's have you do some rehab, maybe modify some activity, but you're okay to keep playing. Yeah. Now you put on an ultrasound course for pediatric ultrasound and sports medicine. So tell our listeners a little bit about that as when you have that and what they can expect if they come to your course and where we can direct our listeners. And we'll be sure to have information about that in our show notes. I think it had just passed, correct? That's right. We just had our third one in November. So we've done it three times now and we're revamping it. We did a fundamentals course and it's called Pediatric Musculoskeletal Ultrasound fundamentals core. So it's really learning the basics and it's all about kids. It's a multidisciplinary faculty where we have sports medicine, 
pediatric radiology and pediatric rheumatology, since there's a lot of overlap between those different groups. One of the highlights about it is we have some lectures interspersed, but we have a lot of hands-on scanning in small groups where we actually scan kids. So we bring in kids so you can, you know, we're learning about kids. Let's practice scanning on real kids. And we have, you know, each time we've been able to bring in some kids with pathology as well. So you get practice learning, seeing what normal is, but also seeing, uh, seeing what abnormal is. So our goal, we're going to offer it again in the fall of 2024, is we're looking to expand it to a two-day course where we'll have a beginner's course, and then we're going to have an advanced course so people can come to one or, or both days. And so we're, we're currently in the planning stage of how that advanced portion is going to look. But we have a we have a wait list if you're interested in learning more. Our current website is community.com. TSRHC.org slash PMSKUS. So we'll put those in the show notes if you're interested in learning more. As soon as it becomes published and we obtain our uh, CME credit, we'll, we'll let people know. And we, 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 we'd love to have you come, come join us so that you can get some hands on practice. Sounds good. So I love CME stuff. So it's always good. Well, we end our podcast with something we call the Pearl of the Podcast. It's our guest's opportunity to give their little nugget of take-home information or one of the things and the points they want to drive home about what we've been talking about today. So, Jacob, what's your Pearl of the Podcast? Ultrasound and learning. Ultrasound is a, it's a lot like climbing a mountain. You know, it's, it's a lot of hard work. It's steep at times. There's a steep learning curve. And you often wonder, hey, have I learned anything from this, am I actually going to make any improvements? Is this helpful? But once you get to the, the peak, I mean, you're always learning, but once you, you get to this peak, you look out and your vision really broadens and you say, wow, this is a very useful tool. And there is a lot of potential that has not quite been tapped or not quite been seen with this, especially in the pediatric population. So I encourage you to pick it up, to try it. It's going to take diligence but just keep practicing. And as you keep practicing and you kind of get to a summit, you're going to look out and say, wow, this was worth it. This is really helpful. Awesome. That Neo moment, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to thank Dr. Jones for his expertise and time and giving our listeners some ideas about ultrasound use in pediatric sports medicine. We'll be sure to have those links that we mentioned in our show notes. So be sure to check those out. Thank you to all of our listeners. We do appreciate your feedback and your five-star reviews. And if you haven't left a review or feedback on Apple Podcasts, we encourage you to do so. That positive feedback helps get us the word out for us about the podcast and helps us continue to grow. You can follow us on social media at Twitter or X and Instagram at Peds Sports Pod. That's Peds S. So that's plural, sports plural, and then pod. You can also find all of our episodes at PediatricSportsMedicinePodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and I hope you have a great day. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Find my entire library of episodes at PediatricSportsMedicinePodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.